Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Power of Privilege and Allyship podcast. My name is Funke Abimvola, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Austin Bronte Consultancy. The consultancy's main goal is to improve leadership by leveraging the impact of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity across the business world. Today, I am so delighted to be speaking to Mark Baker. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Oh, hello, Funky. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm so uh, flattered that you've invited me to to join you. Um, you know, I really admire what you do, and, and I'm delighted to be here today. And likewise, Mark. And and obviously, you and I have known each other for a few years now. We've worked mm. together on a number of things. Um, but the wider audience may not uh, know much about you, and it is a global audience, Mark. So, please introduce yourself to our global audience in your own words. Sure. So I'm Mark Baker. Um, I'm the founder of um, of DNI Leaders, which is a community of diversity inclusion HR professionals uh, based in the UK. That's wonderful. And you do a lot more uh, through DNI Leaders than you're letting on. But we'll we'll <laughs> delve a bit deeper as our conversation uh, continues. But I'd be really keen to know. And actually, I don't think I know this myself. Actually, Mark. Um, tell me a bit more about your career to date and how you came to be running, you know, your own business, frankly, and being an entrepreneur in the DNI space. How did that happen for you, Mark? So I guess I mean, my background is business to business events, um, but it isn't certainly a career that I would have known about or existed. It's often the hidden world in, in business that, that as a younger person, you wouldn't you, you wouldn't know that there's this world of, of business to business events. So I stumbled upon it, really. I, I, um, I didn't have a, a clear career path I you know it's only now looking back that I kind of have pieced the bits of the jigsaw together and kind of how did I get here I've been asked by a few people you know what's your journey and I think you know it was head down and, and sort of thinking it was quite organic but I guess behind that there probably was some preferences in the things I like to do and and, and a lot of luck along the way but also engineering that so I I did stumble on events by accident my um, I grew up in North Wales in the UK in a very small small town, and uh, both parents had left education at 15, 14, uh, worked in retail and, and and other factories, things like that. So I grew up in a in a household that had always worked, but there was no um, pressure on me to through education to 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 go to any form of higher education actually. And it was kind of by accident that the social circle that I'd formed in school all had aspirations through their parents, actually a lot of them, to certainly go to do A-level, so do the next level of education beyond the basic level. So I kind of stuck with the group of friends and thought, you know, I'm not ready to work yet. I'm enjoying the learning. So I, I was able to specialise then in, in the, top, the topics that I picked, economics, geography, geology, and then just carried on. And then when you get into that system, you know, the careers advisors then are, what are you going to do next? You know, you're going to university, what are you going to do? And I just thought, yes, I will, I'll go to university. Why not? And but I think the driver was to to was to move away, was to find myself behind all of this. So when there was an opportunity that was possible. Funding, looking back, I funded myself through university, but it was at a time where you could apply for funding through. We were means tested. We were from a relatively poor family. So I was able to get a full bursary to be able to go to university. And that was kind of, that was just the done thing. Then it wasn't a lot of people applied through that. Looking back, I literally was the last window of the cohort to have been able to access that now in um, 98, 99. So for me, it didn't feel like a struggle at that point. It was the natural thing to do. And I, I so I went to university, 
came back. I, f- I funded myself, always worked through all of the summers, came back um, and then just started working really. But again, I just didn't have a, a career path in mind. And there was a, once I'd gone to university, it was quite far from home. There was a drive that now I, I need to go and discover myself. And for me, um, being LGBT, and I hadn't hadn't really come to terms with that myself at that point. I'd lived very quiet life, not a, a teenager. I was often in the house. I took up gardening as a teenager. All these things, solitary sort of stuff, really, because I, I just didn't fit in. But I wasn't really aware of that at the time. Um, and so I was driven to move away. And so I was took I took to sales roles, actually, initially. Um, I sort of got pigeonholed through agencies into sales roles and really enjoyed those. I loved the, the clear um, strategy, you know, the, this is what you learn about this. This is what you sell. There's clear goals, there's incentives as well. But I, I did become quite bored after it became, for me, felt quite samey once I knew the product and knew the sales. So I started looking at roles in cities. So that was, you know, Manchester, hadn't really thought about London and a graduate role came up in an, in an advert in a national newspaper for a conference producer. So writing and researching events, which involved picking up the phone, speaking to people, desk research. And it was in an area related to my degree. So it was around energy. So oil, gas, energy, uh, geography degree. And that was really, uh, I went down open-minded this open day, uh, was offered the job and then literally weeks later moved to to London and knew nobody, you know, just went through the newspaper, found a house share and went. Uh, and that was that. And then I've stayed in events, business to business events, always with a research background since then. It's just extraordinary whenever I ask that question, Mark, because at any point in that chronology of events, a slight tweak or slight change could have meant your trajectory was completely different. I mean, you talk about the funding side and, and you allude to the fact that, of course, that then changed later on. So mm. it made it a lot harder then to to certainly access the funding. And then, you know, you'd have graduated with more debt. That could have had implications. So it's just fascinating every time I ask that question. Mm. And you ended up in in London, you know. Yeah, but it could time. have been. Yeah, it could have been any other. It could have been Manchester, Liverpool, which would have made a more natural fit given where I was located. So London um, was a surprise. But I did come you know, I was, it was a difficult home life. There was a difficult, a lengthy divorce going through. So I was, there was a real struggle with going so far away with leaving my mum. So it was a really, and not knowing anyone, but I went with her permission, in fact, active permission to go. And you know, she was a real active supporter of any achievements I had. There was no expectations on those achievements, but whenever I did, it was always a, you know, where'd you get this from? Or how are you, you know, I'm just, you know, amazed and, and supportive. So, you know, I had that blessing to go, but it was, it was very difficult in the early years, not knowing anyone and also being so far, not being able to support. Um, but you're right. So many points along that journey could have changed. And I did come out with a hefty amount of debt through student loans. So that was the first time that there was a student loans to fund living basically but not the actual there was no fees but so that 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 did throw up in my 20s there was a a, you know that 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 discovering myself socially came with a cost um, and not having ever experienced city costs as well um, with no financial support I did um, rack up a lot of debt so there was a that that was a real burden for my early years down in London as well so there was a working very hard but also there was this debt associated with being social I guess discovering myself so it was a it was good but also tough there was this mounting pressure there as well you know always a very you know young people I I have some sympathy it's a you think you're invincible when you're young or you know you you will pay it all off when you're older but it is a real 
burden on the shoulders. It really, really is. And what I'd love to sort of hear more about is how DNI leaders then uh, evolve, because you're already in that space, but employed, you know, you're an employee mm. at this stage. What made you decide that you go down the entrepreneur route? Yeah, gosh. So I guess I, as I moved through events, navigated through the events industry, I did, you know, it was quite buoyant through my, you know, the early years. So there was an industry where you could move jobs. Um, there was a demand for the roles that I was doing and research roles. So I was able to, I was lucky enough to be able to pick the sort of topics, to be able to connect with the subject. So for me, it was never, many people sort of enter events and leave after a few years as a stepping stone or, you know, something they do when they're younger, uh, researching the events, but then leave. And and what I did was sort of move to topic areas, communities doing, so the subject matter of the events became really important. So initially it was connected to my degree, it was around energy, oil and gas, economics, but then when I was able to choose and move um, and look for roles, um, I, I moved across sort of publishing. So a lot of it was around marketing communications. So marketing to students, young people, older people. So it was really getting to grips with demographics and, and had an interest in the topic. And then I moved to more social policy. So I was then managing um, events right across um, public policy. So criminal justice, university, social care, health, um, environment. So that then became, um, you know, and I was able to choose the topics that we that we ran the events on. So I was gravitating more for the sort of the environmental and health side, um, those aspects. And then I was I was made redundant. Um, there was an organisation. Um, it's uh, it was moving to online. There was a sort of a dip in events, a lull. Um, I'm trying to think when that was, sort of 2010, 12, and. Um, there was a move to online and that was a little bit too soon. <laughs> Seeing what's happening now, it was kind of this, but that back then uh, it didn't quite take off. So the event, the company struggled with the move to online. I was made redundant. And at that point I did toy with the idea of, should I set up and do something on my own? But a lot was still going on in my home life in terms of the house move. We were going through looking at the prospect of adoption as well it just didn't feel right and so I was actually approached from a small company publishing company to go and work with them and set up their paid events division Um, and it was funny enough working back across energy was one of the divisions so it was a great opportunity to kind of build a business but but with the the backing of someone else but the but the freedom to to build that so that's what I did for seven years at Faversham House and, and built a team worked my way up to the board. But one of the communities that we built up was a real challenge to make it economically viable was around sustainable business. So it was the emerging role of the sustainability leader. And it really needed a different approach, much more of a building a community and trying to work out what topics were business critical, but but people would pay to to listen to. So it took a different approach. The margins weren't as high. We had to have more people involved and the subjects, more reporters, teams and and really connect with people and come up with different formats of events, not not, not just the put people in a room, be talked at, and listen, people were wanting to co-create, innovate in that space. So we we built a community around that, still going, it's going really strong, it's called Edie. And that really sparked in me, uh, there was a different way of doing events. And so I I'd, was managing a large team, I'd worked my way up to the board of this, of this company, I was taking on many of the people elements of the business, and we didn't have a HR officer, Um, We moved to a matrix structure, we redefined our purpose, and actually a lot of what we were doing in the sustainability was around connecting purpose, Um, so we were already keying into that. And 
yeah, I, it was got to the point where I was being asked to to concentrate really much more on strategy only and not so much doing. And for me, I, I think I was 40 at the time and I'd just reached the point where I needed to relook at thinking I'm going to be working for many more years yet. I'm not ready to, to take on this leadership strategic role. I, I do like really the being very involved in events. That's what I love is being hands-on um, as well. And that was a big, big step, a big wobble for me, really. I, I So I did actually, we were doing long-term planning for the business and I sort of put my hand up and said, actually, um, I, I think I'd be doing an injustice if I didn't say to you, I don't see myself here long-term. I think this is something I have to do for myself. I have to step out of the business and potentially do something on my own. I'd managed to save some money to cushion, you know, so it was a very lucky position to be in, um, never taken time out of work ever in the, in the 20 odd years, but I felt the time was right. And I did that. They convinced me to stay. <laughs> so it was great, you know, to have that support. They really wanted me to stay with the business and would have bent over backwards to work out a role that would have allowed me to develop and, and, and to get what I needed from the business as well. But I designed my role out of the business over a three month period. And by doing that, it felt I didn't want to leave them in the lurch. So I left on very good terms, um, set them up as a business and was able to promote individuals, change the teams, part of that. So to not replace my role, but to redesign the team. And then I, I said, no, it's actually is the time to to go now and, and sort of took my time out because I was so busy. I still didn't know what I was going to do. So I literally did come out and then um, hired a, a little one room office near home and just locked myself away for the the summer and it was during that period dni leaders was 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 born oh and and what an incredible community you've created mark you know it, it just you. would be so lovely for you to talk a bit more about dni leaders itself and and what it offers and you know possibly some of your plans for the future if you're happy to share those with our audience yeah yeah I, well when i started i didn't know say so i locked myself in this room i don't know if it was one event two events and i I guess I gravitated more to the board level issue. So, you know, I was looking at it more as part of the wider corporate governance. Um, so that's what I was thinking I might go along uh, and, and research and do some events around those topics. I, I discovered that the diversity inclusion role or, um, you know, that, that that was an area of business by accident by looking at the board issues, which very much were at that time. Uh, much more the conversations were around gender equality and diversity and I started digging deeper so the research came out and uncovered you know that there was these you know lots of these people driving inclusion in business and there was actually a, a defined role and there was you know defined strategies around this so I, I researched that and, and came up with our global forum in 2019 which was as much me learning about the topic area um, <laughs> over two days as well as you know running an event and and it's just snowballed from there so by doing such a broad event as that covering all all aspects of inclusion at work i really felt we weren't doing any of them justice in a in, in a two-day event that there was a lot more to discuss around you know whether social mobility you know race at work um, disability and so started digging deeper and making connections and it's really DNI Leaders has been all about making connections, and I've been led by uh, what I hear and what people um, want want us to do. So it started off with an event. It's now more, much more than that. So it's a fully sort of fledged community where we produce our own news articles with a lady called Joe Farragher, who who's a journalist who's wrote those for, for with me for two years in-person events when we can run them. We make all of our content so that they're paid for tickets at our conferences. But by doing that, we're able to make a lot of what we do free. So, and that's that's been the ethos really of having this 
paid ticketed sales for our conferences then allow us to offer all of our reports from our events, our news, and now webinars. Um, so the pandemic, you know, we were running free webinars and that's something we continue to do. And we've now got sort of 30, 40 of those. And then, then you know, along with that, we've now do things like annual benchmarking reports. We run training foundations of being a DNI leader as well to set people on the right path um, as this emerging role. So it's a real mixture. Um, an online community, you know, of people. And it's broadening all the time since the pandemic by offering all this free stuff. It's not just about diversity inclusion roles, you know, there's allies, employee network members, anyone really who has an interest in DNI can join for free. It's just such a wonderfully empowering community as well, you know, and the connection certainly that I've made uh, through through the community, it's been invaluable, Mark. You know, and I, I hear such wonderful things from people uh, about DNI leaders. So well done, you know, and what you've Thank created. You. It's really unique. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to get that feedback. You, you do spend your time doing, but I, you know, we're starting to hear. We've got a jobs board, for example, and you know, we're starting to hear from back from people who've got jobs through the jobs board, and and it, you know, you kind of start to see the the influence that that you know making the connections is having. So it, it's great to be able to see the impact. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm sure, I mean, you've alluded to some of the challenges you faced, Mark, around uh, your journey and getting the business up and running. But are there mm. any other challenges that you're happy to share with our audience? And, and, you know, importantly, how you overcame those challenges? I'd be really intrigued to hear more. Yeah, I think, well, I think the balance really of just, you know, finding myself in a city and balancing and say so that that quite troubled home life. So that that really was the big challenge there of allowing time to discover myself and then you know balancing the needs of of family as well and support and I don't think you know living in a small town in Wales and coming into London the the challenge I didn't expect people to be so direct you know just the directness of you know being asked about your sexuality or being asked about your education and your background and almost you know sort of justifying you know where you are and 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 often in the role of, of doing events, you're quite often very young when you're starting out, but you are interviewing or you're, you're researching with on inviting very, very senior people. So again, imposter syndrome crept in many, many times. It's actually only really in my 30s then that it kind of t- started to ease off. But there was a real feeling of I'm out of my depth. Um, I'm researching topics for four to five weeks with people who've been in this industry for, for years. And so on, you know, on a wide range of topics. So it was that really held me back um, and certainly socially for many years if you put me in a room uh, on the day of events I was happy behind the scenes organizing and doing the connecting but on the spot having a conversation that was maybe could ask me about my personal life or you know behind being an event that I really struggled with and that's been a constant challenge and only I would say through running my own business DNI leaders it's only in the last three or four years that that has you know, be more comfortable at sort of sharing the out of work personal side. And that, so that's uh, been a, a yeah a constant challenge. Yeah, it's, it's so, so interesting that what you say about that, because I think I've also experienced that to some extent as well, where mm-hmm. you have to own your personal story um, yeah. and, and not feel apologetic about it. I remember for years being deeply ashamed of being divorced and being a single mum, as if yeah. that made me this social pariah, when actually, of course, there are many, many uh, women like me who go through a divorce yeah. and have a child. But, you know, I, I used to sort of almost hide that. Um, yeah. So I, I do really relate to what you say. And there does come a point in time when 
you're and it comes with age as you say so I think hitting yeah. your 30s does tend to do that to you you just sort of own it really don't you Mark and then you're then happy to just tell people whatever this is yeah. who I am this is what I stand for yeah but it's yeah yeah completely I mean you're quite often your your head's down you have other priorities you have paying your rent or just staying in a job or balancing all these things you know when you're young or think feeling you need to keep you know progressing or get to this end game and it's just quite often busy 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 and you but you see it all obviously just through you in your lane in your lens and so it, it it kind of does come with with age i guess and also then the you know quite often privilege if you if you've worked in say to a managerial role you are uh widening your you know your scope maybe interaction with people your social circle your uh people you're engaging with through through work that's why i think the workplace is such a, an amazing opportunity to meet people who maybe you wouldn't through the forms the friendships that you form potentially out of work you know workplace is such a a way of, of meeting people who are different from yourselves um in a sort of common goal in the workplace so it's uh yeah, it's how you bridge that, I guess. Yeah, to, you know, it's a shame to sort of wait until you're older to be able to sort of reflect and, and um, you know, become aware of all the things that make you you are, are not things to be ashamed of. Exactly. And that's certainly true. And I'd like to get a sense, Mark, of your day to day and what your typical day could look like. I know that no two days are the same, yeah. but what does a typical day look like for you now, especially with lockdown and restrictions easing and so on? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're still, we're three years old, DNI leaders, but we're two years worth of events. So it still, still feels like a startup. It feels like we've had to reinvent ourselves um, during the pandemic because obviously we, we can't run any uh, in-person events and who knows when that will be. So it's been a huge shift in in learning from myself and the teams two other permanent team members to online so it's still we've got to grips with that but the days uh, look very different to maybe what they did a, a year ago it can be building you know publishing content on our on our page and distributing that building newsletters um from researching an event so uh, you know having calls with speakers to uh, recording talks for events coming up. So we pre-record all of our conversations, you know, to running the events live. So it's a real mixture. Um, we have schedules in place, so we have structure. We know what's going out this week, next week. But as an events organiser, you do spend your life kind of planning years in advance, you know, getting, getting dates in a year and ahead uh, with venues. So you have this very short, immediate day-to-day, and then what's happening that week, a schedule, then the month, and then in the run-up, quite mapped out so it's uh yeah it's it's really varied and and obviously then like myself and the team we all work flexibly so you know so we've got our our home life as well it's great it's it's a series of projects lots of projects that are happening and and um no two days the same it's a it's a great job to have no it does sound like so it sounds like great fun as well as the incredibly hard work of course you know and uh, <laughs> the juggling and the planning and the possibilities of what you could be doing in the future as well so let's move on to privilege mark you know i'd be really keen we've had discussions many discussions about what allyship means what privilege means but i'd be really keen for you to share that with our, our wider audience so what's your understanding of privilege and and how have you seen that um, actually in action in the society or even in the workplace yeah i think i, I don't think i was aware of, of of privilege in my younger years and i think it's something that only really became aware of in in later life um so i think you know, we mentioned this sort of head down going in your own lane and you know busy busy with work and and i don't think i 
really noticed the privilege. And probably the first time that I noticed that was in a line management role. Um, and even then it would take a while, you know, often people are thrown into line management at a very young age and, and, you know, and that, that, that has its own challenges um, and equipped necessarily to do that. But, you know, I started then to notice uh, team members that that I work with who had different challenges in the workplace or juggling home and work life. Um, so trying to understand those, I realised, you know, that that really, that your the social identity, the background that you're born into can really impact how you experience the workplace and life. Um, and it's not all on the level playing field. And some of that is just given to us by the colour of the skin or of we're born into or where we, you know, where we're, where we're born. So I really started to become aware of that when I became a line, line manager and more so the more senior I moved up. There's so many elements to privilege. And I really like the fact that you've drawn that out because I think it can become uh, far too rigid in some people's minds. And it's actually recognising that there are many different layers to it potentially yeah. and what privilege can actually mean to different people. You know, quite often, you know, you, you really see, you see the world through your own eyes. It's really, you know, you, you, you need to, you hear how other people's experiences and you hear how they're experiencing in life or challenges they're facing. And, you uh, you know, and that's what I, I don't, I have, I stopped trying to, well, I can't see, you know, I can't see that. I don't need to see that. It's if someone is telling me that's how they are experiencing this or it's how they're, the challenges they're facing, um, that's just a real eye opener. And then you have to accept and uh, and respect that that's how people are feeling and that's how they experience really um and then trying to educate yourself as to how that might be um rather than asking people to keep repeating you know why but it's um becomes much more visible i think and, and i think for me also having a child going through the adoption process that was a real eye-opener as well and um, just the whole process obviously in terms of adopting a child who who has faced many challenges in their life of where they were born into and the you know and the social uh, background that they were born into that was you know a, a bigger biggest eye-opener of all really mm. a recurring theme I see as well Mark around privilege is often those who have it don't always recognize that they do have it I mean you you mentioned that I certainly didn't realize that I had the privilege I had until I started comparing myself to other people and realizing my goodness I, I was you know socioeconomically I was very, very privileged. But of course, when you're in your little bubble where everyone you seem to know is at private school, which was the case in my mm-hmm. case, I assumed lots of children were at private schools, didn't realise that that's actually a tiny minority here in the UK. Yeah. So you're right to say that it's, it's for engaging with others and meeting others and, and importantly, listening. What you say about listening is it's so critical to all of that and yeah. accepting what people tell you, not challenging their lived experience but just taking it for what it is and yeah. accepting it and i think you know i think that is hard everybody will have their own challenges and you know for me um, and you know a lot of that was monetary from the background of the of the growing up you know quite poor so it was a case of already feeling you know you know i'm doing this you know i'm, I'm sort of breaking out of that making my own mold and trying to succeed in life and so you don't you you may just see your own uh, you know the negatives in your own life and not really appreciate you know other people's so you just you know you go through you know just with your own perspective on that and sometimes the, the sort of oppression olympics can play in can't yeah. it mark where you know yeah. people are trading off well this happened to me and that was worse than what happened to you and it's really not about that at all really yeah. is it <laughs> so 
Uh, allyship then, uh, Mark, a very, very popular word. We hear it bandied about all the time. What is your understanding of allyship and how have you seen that in action? Yeah, it is a word that, that is used a, a lot now, certainly over the last 12 months, um, to be an to be an ally. I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's it's raising my own awareness of my own um, privilege, which there are clearly there clearly is, you know, whilst I had an economic disadvantage, I had many other advantages that that I wouldn't have seen, you know, my name, Mark Baker on job applications, the interviews, you know, the colour of my skin is clearly not the case for everyone. You know, my accent, my, you know, my voice, all of those things. So I, I as, as an ally, just through the work that I'm doing at DNI Leaders and, and through, through being a line manager over the years as well, it's noticing, um, it's just appreciating what my privileges are and then trying to look what the common goal is. So, you know, if there's marginalised groups um, that are facing hurdles or challenges, you know, what can I do to support or uh, give voice if needed, you know, and that's really, you know, I just just really do what, what I can if needed um, for a common goal. So if we see a, uh, a marginalised group, is that, you know, what could I do in, in my role? Do I have the ear of people? Could I uh, use the the role of CDNI leaders to to give someone a platform or a voice or even just make a connection behind the scenes. It seems that there's quite often the smallest thing that I guess would be allyship, but you might not realise that you're you're doing it. That's very, very true. And certainly, I mean, DNI leaders in and of itself is is all about allyship. Just the fact that you've created this community that forms connections and and we feel supported, you know, as a network. You know, you know, you can reach out to people. That is allyship in action, in my view. I think it's it's really important to recognise that. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I, mean, but I guess what I noticed was, I mean, and that's the thing about uh, provision. It's often you, you, you know, it's on the what you visibly see. So for me, you know, coming into this space, it was really noticeable that the prevalence and HR roles of white women. And that was just something I visibly could see, you know, taking it at face value. And so, you know, when looking at the events that we run, it's really, you know, and then looking at the seniority as well, um, potentially, it is, you know, where there's maybe met more men in some senior roles in certain sectors. So uh, that's only something that we're really aware of at DNI leaders in terms of um, trying to show the diversity within <laughs> diverse, the diversity of diversity. So within you know, we like to lump people in these big groups and that doesn't do justice to the diversity within within all of these, these big uh, protected characteristics and groups. So we're trying to do a lot more of, uh, and, and that means you just have to, you know, you do have to look a bit harder. You may be not just going on someone's job title. You know, you are then maybe looking at someone who has less experience in that role, but has other experience to bring to the table, balancing lived experience with professional experience. So we've seen what we do. It's around the, the policy and practice within business. But, you know, that means really, and trying to encourage people to share some of their lived experience with the work environment. And again, it's, it's um, you know, not everyone, uh, you know, needs to provide a safe space to, to do that, which I hope we do. But it's uh, certainly, you know, many times that we've put an event together and um, sent out, different invites done our research various people have come back with yes or no's and you look at what you ended up and you say actually i'm not happy with that program it's too uh, it's too biased to one one group or there's not a difference in you know whether it could be age or you know representation it should be trying to dig deeper and maybe speak to more people and see if they've got that some uncover 
their um, uh, invisible differences as well. It's really hard in putting, you know, putting programs together to try and ensure that, especially when there isn't necessarily that diversity in the roles. You can't keep coming to the same people, you know, tokenism of, of, of including someone in an agenda because of some visible characteristic. So, yeah. It's um, that that's the challenge, I think, for us is to is to uh, is to reflect the topics that we talk about in 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 the speakers that we have. Yeah, definitely. And and that just sort of leads very nicely into why diversity and inclusion in and of itself is important, you know, beyond uh, DNI leaders and, and getting a nice, diverse group of, of speakers and people involved in your events mm. why, why do you think that dni in and of itself mark is so important in society and in business today i think it's quite simple business has to reflect their their customer and society base and it just doesn't there's been a you know a the, the top levels of society and business have been ring fenced. People don't want, you know, with people who look like themselves, who who hold on to that power, and you know the economics of of the riches as well. And that's just not, it's just not right. It's you know, it's not right. It's um, we should all, you know, um, we're already we've talked about privilege. So wherever we, you know, we're born and what circumstances we're born into, we don't start off on the same you know level playing field at all and um, but we should be able to um, aspire and have you know we should be able to do and achieve our full potential at the moment that clearly isn't the case so you know and, and it's time and time again we seem to be going around in circles with reports and, and statistics and it's kind of you know I think enough you know is enough and you know there is a clear role I think of business in all of this I've mentioned the unique you know the working environment we spend our time there that that you know we should be able to you know, achieve our full potential in the in the in the workplace, and and maybe leave some of those other uh, challenges that we have on our shoulders out of work in, in the workplace. So I think there's a great opportunity for business to to create that and reflect the society and the, the customer base that they may have. I've only ever seen in teams that I've worked with in companies the innovation and diversity of thought that can come out when you have different opinions in teams is is you know it's incredible. It's electric. So it's um, you know why wouldn't you? It really is electric. It feels so much better, doesn't it, Mark? You know, the sort of uh, it's much richer experience for for all concerned, really, in that kind yeah. of environment. Yeah, yeah. And work isn't, you know, it's just getting to it as a moment where you don't have to be friends with everyone. You know, where you need to respect and you need to, you know, recognise um, what everyone brings to the table. But it's, you know, it's we're not trying to recreate friendships in you know in a work environment. And I think that's really clear. Uh, you, know, you need to be very clear about um, about that. Yeah, certainly, definitely. You need to be very, very clear about that. And incredibly, our time's almost up, Mark. And I don't know if there's anything you'd love to have said that you haven't had the chance to say so far, or do you feel you've said uh, everything that you need to say to our audience? I'm sure they're bored of my voice by now. <laughs> but I've, uh, yeah, my, yeah, I can't believe that that time's gone so quickly. As you know, I was nervous about coming on today, so it's been a really um, enjoyable experience. I hope, I hope my my story has been of interest to uh, to everyone. It's been a wonderful conversation, Mark. I, I knew you'd be fantastic. I had absolutely no doubt uh, whatsoever. <laughs> oh, thank but thank you so much for making the time, Mark. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Funky. No, it's been a pleasure. And thank you to our wonderful. 
uh, listeners for for constantly downloading, sharing links, rating, commenting, liking, and sending me your feedback as well, which has been very much appreciated. Thank you for making our podcast series such a success. We continue to go from strength to strength. And I look forward very much to my next inspiring conversation with yet another truly visionary leader, just like Mark. Thank you very much, everyone. And goodbye. Mm -hmm.